and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Tomatin in the house, all the way from Scotland, Mr. Scott Adamson. Adamson. Oh man, not only is their whiskey hard to pronounce in terms of their name, but the dude's name's tough too. Oh, woe is me. I better drink some whiskey. We tried the Tomatin Dualcus. The 12 year, ooh, beautiful stuff. Virgin bourbon barrels, what does that mean? Check out the podcast to find out more. The 14 year with a little bit of port cask on there. What else, the 18, Stephanie, yeah, whoa. Some of the best whiskey you've never tried before. Tell your friends about our podcast, Spirit Guide Society Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I said podcast so many times, it's making me nut bar. And always remember to enjoy the spirit guys society podcast responsibly that means don't be trying to pour out tasters on your dashboard totally irresponsible uncool i'll tell your mom and she'll be mad oh yeah feels like an icelandic football game (laughs) all right all right okay so we just learned something apparently the slow clap is much like being at an icelandic football game it is indeed icelandic football teams start with a Whoosh. It's because they're all so cold. They have to, Absolutely. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't have that problem here in California. It's like 100 degrees outside right I'm now. I'm feeling it. It feels great, right? No. No? <laughs> I've never been this hot in all my life. <laughs> when you're inside the bar, Jackal, we have great AC here. That's why, I, that's why I can keep a, a waistcoat on. Just keep your fingers crossed that that compressor doesn't go on. Yeah. I'm just going to be stripping down here in a minute. My hotel has the loudest AC unit in the world as well, so it's dreadful. <laughs> well, we're cool right now. We're good. Welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. Yeah, Monday night, happy Pride Month. Uh, we here at the Bar Jack Wilper, we have the crazy idea that everyone should have equal rights. I don't know why that's so hard to wrap your head around, but... Uh... I mean, my taxi from the airport was twice as long, but yeah. <laughs> all, of, all of LA shut down for a week. But that's beautiful. It's rainbows everywhere. Yeah. Makes your, makes your Uber ride way better. Yeah. We have a rare and wonderful tasting. Actually, you guys just switched distributors. This, this might be hard to understand if from, the, we're gonna like open the, the curtain on the behind the scenes of it's the, the liquor world. the wall of the whiskey industry, right, isn't it? Right, right, which is like, okay, so you have your whiskeys that you wanna drink, right? And you usually get them at the liquor store or you can come to the bar Jack Lope and you can buy a bottle and sit here and drink off your bottle. But in California, it's all, it's illegal to get whiskey unless it's going through a licensed distributor. Right. It's it's all this intense, like you know, laws about liquor. And in California, we're actually pretty, pretty easy to deal with. Like we've opened bars now in Texas and Colorado. We have seven grands, and the liquor laws are much more right. stringent. In Texas, they make you put the tax stamp on the front label the of face. the bottle. If they we can't see it, they'll fine you. It's we like we spend thousands of pounds developing the look and feel of our bottle. And then you go to Texas, it's like, here's a nice little tax stamp for you or whatever it is. Right on dreadful. the front of it. Yeah. And, and if you if you throw the bottle, they have to like account for the bottle after it's been poured. You yep. can't just throw the bottle in the garbage it's, or in the recycling because they have to account for the stamps. It's insane. We're much more mellow out here. But you guys just, what I was getting to is that you guys just switched distributors. Is that right? Could be. It's true. <laughs> Molly, help me yeah. out here, right? Semi-recently. 
We had one of your compatriots yep. in about eight months ago, yep. Scott Frazier. Correct. So, and he's he's a he was a, a it was a great podcast. We, yep. we recorded it, and it was everybody loved it. And I, I'm sure you won over a ton of new fans. We're about to lose them tonight. Why, really? <laughs> no, I, I'm not Aww. a good guy. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. So, hey, my name is also Scott. Scott Adamson, Scott everyone. Adamson. And, uh, From Tomatin. Thank you. See, one thing I didn't learn that night was how to pronounce the name. Yeah. I was like, I was all Game of Thrones. Like, it's Tomatin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no one says it there. No, so I, we're creative when it comes to whiskey, but not when it comes to names. So if you go to Tomatin, just ask for Scott or Graham, you're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, there's like 50 of us. Um, I'm Little Scott, so I'm... Uh, about 6'1". Uh, big Scott is about 6'5". He's a big guy. He's a big Scottish farmer. So um, I, I, I just do all the little bits and pieces. So are you from uh, Tomatin? Not originally. So I'm from, I was born in Inverness, which is 15 Tomatin. miles nor north of Tomatin. Okay. And I grew up in a small village called Evington, which is another 10, 20 miles north. How many folks live in that Evington? Uh, 2,000. 2000? Yeah. So you so guys have a pub and a post office. We've got two pubs. Two pubs. Come on. Come on, it's Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> it's Scotland. Uh, well, there's one pub now, the other one closed down. It was a, oh. it was a dark day in, in Scottish history. Um, so I grew up there and I started working at Tomatin in 2012. Uh, so my background is I studied Scottish history at university. Oh, wonderful. Scott from Scotland sells Scotch and has a degree in Scottish history. That's beautiful. Right? You're perfect. And, uh, so I started working at Tomatin then, and a little tidbit is Tomatin's the last distillery in Scotland to provide housing to the workforce. So 80% of the staff live on site. And I moved there for five years, myself, my wife, and our cat. And uh, then um, I turned, I turned heel, I turned coat, oh, and no. I went to work for another company. We won't even talk about no, that. No, no, company. no, 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 you don't need to know about them. Uh, they were actually great to me, and we moved back up to where I grew up so we could have a start a family. And now I moved back to Tomatin as a global brand ambassador. So are you living in the dorms where all the factory folks no, live? No, no, I live in a small town called Onnes, which is the same town as Tininich and Dalmore distilleries. Oh, right on. So that's where I'm from. Oh, cool. Yeah. But if you go visit some distilleries in Scotland, a lot of the, the old distilleries, you do see the old row houses. Yeah that folks used to live in who would be, That's that right. used to be very common, is that the whole towns would be based around the distilleries. Like the Catholic folks would like you to know that, you know, civilization was founded by the church, but yeah. truth is that a lot of towns are actually started around towns. the distilleries, not the churches. So, so what it, yeah, it's a front, it's, it's a, a front. front. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a terrible front. So, <laughs> so the reason for it is that, hands up if you've been to the Scottish Highlands before. Okay, has anyone been to Tomatin just before we get going? Oh, so I can lie about it all, great. <laughs> uh, no, so if you've been to the Scottish Highlands before, um, 200, 300 years ago when whiskey production was getting going, there were no roads, there were no railways, and what happened in the late 1700s, early 1800s was a period called the Highland Clearances. It was a dreadful time, it was when the landlords cleared a lot of the land, they moved the human population out, to make way for sheep farming. And that's where you get a lot of mass emigration over to the States here. You've got a lot of Scottish names here, right? And so what happened was um, communities in Scotland became coastal communities, not inland. So anybody on the inlands of Scotland, out with the major cities down south, in the Highlands particularly, if you were building a distillery, 
the only way to get a workforce there was to build houses as well. So a lot of these uh, distilleries had to build housing just as much as they had to build a warehouse or a mash house or a mm -hmm. still house because the staff are more important than any machinery that you've mm -hmm. got. We were very lucky that we've still got ours, which is great. And those situations would often involve company script that people were paid in and uh, clothes even, like you would clothe the people who worked yeah. there as well. <laughs> yeah, we've got a great story. So on YouTube, I don't know how you even find it, but there is a brand film from Tomatin that was taken, I think it was like 1954. So this was really early on, you know. Um, our history, a lot of people don't know the name of Tomatin, our history's massively tied up in the blended Scotch whiskey industry. But what a lot of people don't realize is we were one of the first brands to regularly have a single malt on the shelves. And we had that since the early 1950s. And we've got this brand film from the 1950s and there was a great story. There was a, a distillery manager at the time called Jock McDonald. And he gave all of the guys that were going to be in the film a new set of overalls, you know. And it was one size fits all sort of thing. So you had really long legs and really long arms and the guys had to take their gear home and their wives had to turn it all up and sew it in. And uh, there was this one guy, I can't remember his name, that's awful, but he went home, his wife made his outfit perfectly and um, he came back to work the next day and saw the film crew start to arrive. Typical Scottish Highlander, what's going on here? What, what's happening here? And Jock said to him, well, you're going to be on film today, we're filming a brand film. I'm not going to be on film. Uh, you, you will be, everyone's going to be on film. Not me. He says, well, that's why we gave you the overalls. So in the middle of the distillery, in front of everyone, clothes come off, there you go, I'm off home. <laughs> yeah, so we gave them, we gave them clothing when uh, they needed to be on film. <laughs> well, I remember hearing stories when I was traveling that, uh, you know, like there was, I can't remember which distillery, but they were like really proud that they had, each of their workers had two sets of overalls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, we were the best distillery we in Scotland two sets because of all of our workers had two sets of yeah. overalls. Yeah. Powers. Powers. Powers, it was Irish. Oh, they're whiskey. Irish off. The fancy guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. So uh, the brand has been around since the 1780s. When did, when did the distillery so, first open? I, I wish it was that long. That would be great. The distillery first opened in 1897. Oh, wow. So. The, during the 1800s, Scotch whiskey started to become a thing. It started to become well known. But the 1880s is really the first whiskey boom. So until the 1880s, most of the whiskey that was being made in Scotland was being consumed in Scotland. And then, and, and the reason for that was that in England, which was probably one of the biggest spirits markets in the world at the time, the biggest spirit of choice was brandy. But then in the 1880s, we've got to thank America for this, a wee beastie a little uh, virus called Phylloxera vasterix, uh, transported over from America to France, and it plagued the vineyards of France. So for a good 20, 30 years, grape stocks were absolutely de demolished. And that meant that brandy was no longer available in England. And reluctantly, they turned north to Scotland. And I say reluctantly because they'd been trying to make it very difficult for Scotch to be produced since then. So the 1890s is what we call the Victorian whiskey boom. You've got this demand for spirit, and you've also got Queen Victoria popularizing and romanticizing the Scottish Highlands. So people are starting to look for Highland, oh, fantastic, thank you. Highland Scottish whiskey. And uh, 33 distilleries were built in the 1890s, one of which was Tomatin Distillery. We were built in 1897 by three men, John McDougall, 
John McLeish and Alexander Allen. Very Scottish sounding names. <laughs> um, they built the distillery in 1897 and it quickly emerged that they were not very good distillers or businessmen because by 1906 the distillery shut down again. Oh no. Uh, but because of our location, we were very attractive to investors. Um, Tomatin, if you look at the Scottish Highlands, we're one of the only distilleries in the Scottish Highlands not to be built beside the coast. And that's because before that date, you needed to take your barley to the market by ship, and you needed to take the, to, sorry, to the distillery, and you needed to take the stock to the market by ship. We were built in the same year as the Highland Railway Line, mm -hmm. which connected Inverness to the, uh, to the centre belt. Right. So we had a little siding going into the railway, uh, into the distillery. We also had a good peat supply, which was important back then for heating, and we had a great water supply. So we were bought in 1909 by two families from England, the Saunders and the Callanhams, and they were massively important. So Saunders um, had a brand of Scotch whisky called James Saunders Blended Scotch, uh, House of Lords, and it was the exclusive whisky to the House of Lords in the UK, which is where all the political decision-making was taking place. And um, I think they were doing a better job than we do now. And then the others were the Callinghams, and the Callinghams become important when we get to the 14-year-olds, so we'll save that till later. Yeah. So this first mark, this is Tomatin... Tomatin... Dualkis. Tomatin or Tomatin? Tomatin. So there's the first thing. Tomatin Dualkis. That's good, I like we that. We need a linguistics class let, just to understand this. Whiskey. Let me tell you about both of the names involved in this. So this is Tomatin. Tomatin rhymes with satin, smooth like satin, okay? Oh. But tomatin is a Gaelic word. Uh, tom in Gaelic means hill, and atin means of juniper. So anybody in the room that knows about gin will know that juniper is the main botanical in gin, right? We've never made gin. We don't make gin, and we've got no immediate plans to. We're doing whiskey quite well. Um, so why does that become the name? It tells you a lot about our past before 1897. So the juniper berry uh, is the botanical engine, but the bush itself is very important. Before 1823, the vast majority of whiskey made in the Scottish Highlands was made illegally by illicit distillers who had a little bit more barley after their uh, harvest and they would make some spirit. And the government did not like this. So they sent excise men into the Highlands uh, with the role of confiscating stills, destroying casks, getting rid of spirits in the area. Bastards. Bad guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this, this was massive. It cr it, they tried to crush the Highlands. Um, but we're canny folk, we're, we're quite wise to it. The juniper bush, when you light it on fire, creates a very intense heat, but the smoke is invisible. So if you go back 200 years, 300 years, when there are no roads and there are no railways and you're working for the British government, the only way you have to find a still is by looking at smoke near a river. You've got a water source and you've got a heat source there, right? So you go and find the still. By using the juniper bush, there is no smoke. So we were able to produce whiskey illegally for hundreds of years to the point that there are no juniper bushes left in Tamatin. So, <laughs> yeah. And the second name of this first product you have is Dualkis, um, which has been really fun today, getting Americans to say Dualkis. Um, <laughs> but if you call it dual cask, I'll be quite happy. This is the Gaelic word for culture, heritage, legacy. 
anywhere else you go in the world and you want this whiskey, ask for Tomata and Legacy. That's what it's called elsewhere. But we came into a little copyright uh, row with an American whiskey producer. We'll not name them, we'll not give them airtime. Um, <laughs> so the reason this product was created was in 2013, we had a new distillery manager, a man called Graham Munson. And this man was distillery manager. Last week he was named production director and he's about to be named master distiller as well. So keep that quiet for now. Uh, he doesn't know. Um, <laughs> so Graham has- Is he on Instagram live right now? Uh, I don't know if he knows what that is. Uh, but Graham's got a great career story. His name's Yunsen. He's from Orkney. Uh, not Magnus Yunsen from Highland Park. Uh, Graham started his career at the lesser known Orkney distillery, Scapa. And then in 1994, Scapa Distillery shut down. So he moved to Glendronach Distillery. And then Glendronach Distillery shut down. So good track record already, right? Mm -hmm. He moved to Glenmorangie Distillery and he became the Glen, uh, uh, distillery manager there for about 12, 13 years. And that was really when they were pioneering the way in our understanding of oak, maturation, cask styles, cask finishing. And then he reopened Glenglasach Distillery. Uh, which is a cracking little distillery out in Speyside. And um, then he had a dinner with our managing director and our sales director, and he woke up with a hangover and a new job, uh, which is kind of how I got my new job as well. Um, so Graham's first task was to create a non-age stated product. We already had a 12-year-old in the range, and we wanted a product that could come underneath that price point but being tomato, we weren't uh, happy for that to just be rubbish whiskey at three years old. We wanted to create a really uh, mouth-feeling, interesting whiskey that did something differently. So Graham came up with three recipes. Uh, we'll call them sample A, B, and C for um, the purpose of this conversation. And knowing about the history of the distillery, he gave a sample to each of the members of staff, and he said, come back on Monday morning, try this with your friends, your family, and tell me what your favorite is. So on Monday morning, the workforce came back, they were late and they had a hangover, but they had an answer. And uh, the sample they picked is what we now use in this bottle. So at Tomatin, as much as we do have a master distiller who's involved in making every product, we take a wider approach and we get a lot of people involved in the whiskey making process. And on this one, the workers were involved in the final selection of what's bottled. So this is the taste of Tomatin, if you will. And what they picked was so this is a non-age statement, but I'm going to tell you what's in it anyway. 85% um, of this is matured in first fill bar bourbon barrels for six years. There's nothing special about bourbon barrels when it comes to scotch. And any brand that claims that there is to try and do anything is marketing spiel. 90% of the whiskey maturing in Scotland right now is in a cask that previously held bourbon. And there's a simple reason for that. You guys trialed something in America called prohibition. <laughs> After you come out of Prohibition, um, there's two or three distilleries working in America at the time, and the lifespan of a cask is about 60 years. So the Coopers realize that if we make enough casks for these three distilleries, we're going to be out of work for 60 years. And they were heavily unionized at the time, so it was passed into law that to be called bourbon, you have to be matured in a fresh oak cask. We're Scottish. Deep pockets, short arms. We don't spend money if we don't have to. So we can buy a bourbon barrel for about a tenth of the price of a sherry cask, which is the second most popular cask in Scotland. And in the 1930s, the bourbon cask became the most popular cask style in Scotland. Now, I'm not going to give you tasting notes tonight. That's for you guys. What I want to do is tell you the 
sort of a flavor we expect from each cask. So from a bourbon barrel, we're looking for like a vanilla, creamy, almost toffee note. But for me, the active ingredient or the active cask in this whiskey is the final 15%, which is younger. It's four years old and it's virgin North American oak casks. And these are the sort of casks that the bourbon producers use, fresh oak casks. Meaning but, you're, you guys are using, basically it's a bourbon process on a Scottish style district. Correct. So a first use, brand new char is what you're saying. Correct, but it's complicated. Okay. Because there's so That's much- That's what we're here for. There's, we like so, the there's so much competition for these casks in America that we buy our virgin North American oak casks from the sherry industry in Spain. So it's not European oak, it's... No, the vast majority of sherry is matured in American oak. Mythbuster right there. Um, European oak is almost like an industry that the sherry producers use for the whiskey industry. But, so we'll buy our American oak casks from the, sherry from the sherry industry and there'll be a medium heavy char on them. And even at four years old, these casks are very intense. They give a lot of spice, they give a lot of pecan, vanilla notes. The one note that we'll get off of these casks that we won't get from bourbon barrels is coconut. So the, the compound that gives you a coconut flavor in bourbon is one of the first compounds to be broken down by spirit. So when we use a bourbon cask, we can't access that flavor. But when we use these new casks, we're going to get that coconut shaving sort of flavor. And then we marry those two cask types together to create the Dualcus. Well, let's taste it. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, and share your experience, please. So talk about what food words come to mind or what what smells are you reminded of? It could be a place, it could be a color. What do, what do you get? It could be a song, you know? Marshmallow, what else? <laughs> I, yeah, but this is a public Go for it, we tell want me. to share, yeah. Breakfast. breakfast. This is a breakfast whiskey. Drink responsibly. <laughs> um, but for me, for me, this is a super easy drinking whiskey. This is daily juice. Um, if you want, so at Tomatin, we're advocates for enjoying whiskey however you want to. Um, so with this whiskey, we'll know as it tastes to add a drop of water tonight. But if you want to add ice to it, add ice to it. For me, in this weather, a couple of blocks of ice and some ginger ale, this is the most refreshing drink you will ever have. And it is perfect for the weather you guys have over here. Wow, I get a nice little coconut flan and maybe some lemon on it. Some yeah. citrus notes. Yeah. Mm, yeah, cake batter, yeah. nice. Milk chocolate with nuts. Yeah, nice. yeah, there's definitely a nuttiness. I'm getting, there's a rich oakiness, and that comes from that first That's use. That's coming from those virgin oaks. So, is it a number three char, number four char? It's a number four char, as far wow, as I'm aware. Okay. Yeah, so it's heavy charred. So very much kind of a hybrid whiskey. You're taking the bourbon process and applying it to a Scottish distillery. You, you couldn't say it better. Our distillery manager, Graham, calls this a mid-Atlantic malt. It's very much a Scotch whiskey, but a lot of the flavors are what you would associate with a bourbon or a rye whiskey, right? right Those on. nuttier, warmer vanilla tones. And if you go to the distillery, um, you're all very welcome to come to the distillery. We have at the distillery- Can we stay at the dorms? Uh, there, th no, because people live there. Uh, other distilleries, friends, uh, other distilleries, you can live in distillery housing because they rent them out. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look after you in Inverness. Um, but you can go to the visitor center and we have five casks that you can fill your own bottle. And one of them is a four-year-old virgin oak cask. So it is the ingredient that goes into this. It's crazy liquid. It's really interesting. It's probably not the best whiskey in the world, but for me, it's the most interesting whiskey in the world because there's so much going on.
Well, there is an astringency to it, but the thing that's different about it for me for many single malt scotches is that really rich uh, mouthfeel. That first char gives you a real a creaminess, you know, that think of it in the way that bourbon is different because it's based around corn. This is barley, and barley tends to lend to a different kind of mouthfeel than corn anyway. Corn's very oily, yep. barley can be very creamy, yep. but then add that extra oak from that first use of char, yep. and it really has a beautiful structure to it. And it, I, I think about the texture a lot in this whiskey, is what's striking to me. What are you guys getting? I'm talking to myself here. <laughs> Custard. Custard, that's what I'm talking that about. That creamy note. Like, yeah. yeah, that's that the coconut flan. That's what I'm getting. Beautiful. Yeah. The great thing about the great thing about Tomatin right now is that we represent incredible quality for the price. Yeah. To the point that so every year we enter the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, probably the most recognized spirits competition in the world. In the 2019 edition, we were the most successful single malt brand. We got seven double golds. I remember it well. And four golds. And the double golds are a great thing. It means that 40 judges. And industry experts have to there give that whiskey a gold. There was actually 48 of us this year. You were there? Yes, sir. Good man. So you gave us a gold. Well, hey. I, I was blind, I yeah. swear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we were the most successful single malt brand this year, which is incredible. You know, We're not the most marketed. We're not the biggest. But we can lay claim to being the best. That's right. So. That's right. I have right. a question. Do you guys uh, have a proprietor's yeast? Or do you guys do open fermentation, closed fermentation? So we... When it comes to yeast, um, so we'll add yeast after the barley and water have been mixed together and we've got that sugary liquid we call wort. And we're using Maori distillers yeast. So the vast majority of distilleries in Scotland are using this same yeast, distillers yeast. But what becomes important is the fermentation time in Scotland. Mm. So fermentation is where the yeast um, will feed on the sugars that are in this wort, and they will convert them to alcohol and carbon dioxide and other things. And the fermentation process in terms of getting the full extractive out of the sugar into alcohol is completed after 48 hours. Tomatin is um, one of these weird distilleries where we work 24 hours a day, but only for four and a half days a week. And that means that we have two fermentation lengths. So anything that is mashed on a Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning will be fermented for about 53 hours before going on to be distilled. And at that stage, we're gonna get a very malty, a very biscuity, digestive-y sort of um, flavor coming out in the wash. And you'll pick that up on the 12-year-old that we'll try next. I'm gonna show you a little trick. But then, then that is, but then anything mashed on a Wednesday afternoon, Thursday or Friday morning, is fermented for 110 hours, which is one of the longest fermentation times in Scotland. Wow, that's really interesting. So you guys have basically two different whiskeys that you're creating. But they get mixed together before they're filled into a cask. So even before, even before we're putting it into the cask, you've got one of the most complex spirits in Scotland because you've got two fermentation lengths on the that's go. That's super cool. So we've got so much going on there. People talk a lot about distillations and they talk about the casks and stuff like that. For me, the foundation of the flavor is the fermentation. Mm -hmm. um, if you, your distillation is basically building upon what you've created in fermentation. Absolutely. So without getting that right, you're not going to get your spirit right. And without getting your spirit right, it doesn't matter what cask you're putting it into, it's not going to be tomato. 
Um, so yeah, that long fermentation, it, it creates a lot more different kinds of esters. Esters being what we define as being fruity flavors. So stick your nose in this glass. Is it, Stephanie came around with the 12 year, does everyone have the 12 year oh, yet? Before you, do, before you stick your nose in the 12 year old, I want you to do something else to get the shorter fermentation notes. I want you to put your hand on the glass and tip that upside down. Yeah. You don't know what my hands and are then, doing. Then you're going to rub your hands together. All right. And what you do when you're doing that is you're evaporating alcohol, but you're leaving the congeners, the flavor compounds on your hand, and smell that. That's so malty. It's like barley off the field. It's like honey. And there's almost a small tobacco-y earthy note. Yeah, definitely. It's beautiful. And then, you know, people, people, People complain about the cost of whiskey, but aftershave's much more expensive, so <laughs> we're going to do this. Uh, but it's got that lovely malty aroma, that digestive aroma, and that's what we get from the shorter fermentation. But when you put your nose in the glass, there'll be more of the fruity notes. Now, this is our 12-year-old. This is our flagship single malted tomato, and it's the biggest seller for the brand. But that doesn't mean we compromise on quality. Two-thirds of the casks used here are ex-bourbon barrels, and the final third is Oloroso Sherry Butts. It's the most traditional style of Scotch whiskey we produce. It's what my grandfather would have, would have drunk, uh, does drink. <laughs> so what do you guys think? Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What kind of fruity notes come to mind? Is it juicy fruit? Is it a watermelon? Is it a grape? Is it an apple? Is it a cherry? It's yeah, what else? That, that Often the cherry notes I get from sherry barrels. Yeah. Right? Raisins, that's another kind of sherry barrel note. What else? Apricot. Apricot. Beautiful. Stone fruit. Sorry. So yeah, like sometimes like that older, uh, that longer fermentation, you start to get those cool stone fruit yep. notes. Plums. Like, yeah, plums and apricots. What else are you guys getting? No wrong answers. Please share your opinion. Oh, that's some damn good smelling whiskey. There, there are there. wrong answers. Really? I once, uh, one of my colleagues once went to a tasting and, uh, and during the tasting, the person doing our role said, and this has got notes of banana, and the response to that was, I'm allergic to banana, I can't drink this whiskey. Oh. That's a wrong answer right there. Yeah. Uh, I've got a topper. We've had one of yes. our, one of our ranges. She's great. She comes in, she's got great tasting notes in terms of like variance of experience. But I think maybe she's got some kind of medical uh, background because she's like, this whiskey smells like bile. And I'm like, oh, oh wow, wow, okay. okay. She said uh, one of them tastes like throw up. Yeah, oh. yeah. So. Oh, well, you, you do get that a lot. Like, oh, that's <laughs> that Parmesani. Uh, not, not to be locked in a game of whiskey top trumps, but we're called Tomatin. <laughs> Try taking a German round Tomatin distillery. I took a group of German retailers round the distillery before and uh, we did the whole tour, three hours, tasting whiskey from the cask. And at the end of the tour, I said, if you've got any questions, please ask me. And the question was, yeah, where do you keep the tomatoes? <laughs> get out, get out, get out, get out, yeah. Well, sometimes you can get some tomato we know, some briny notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very long fermentation as well. That Sorry, tangy stop. note. But I'm getting like, there's this, I get like golden raisin and like some cashew, yep. beautiful like a raw cashew. What do you get, never? Yeah. Almonds. So what we're expecting from those sherry casks is a little bit of spice, 
dried fruit and some nuttier notes. That, this is, so Legacy, uh, Dwalkas, sorry, is um, a very modern style of scotch. 12 year olds are much more traditional style and that traditional style is that warming, full, depthful sort of flavor there. Oh, it's got a really great finish. I get like brown sugar and vanilla ice cream or like maybe a, a caramel and vanilla ice cream on the finish. What are you guys getting? Please share your experience. For me, I always get maple syrup with this. That's, that's what I'm looking for every time I try this, is maple syrup. To me, this one is drier. Brown sugar, that's what I was getting too. So what you're, getting that, sherry. you're getting that tannin from the sherry cask. That's going to dry out the finish a little bit more. If, if you're kind of new tasting whiskey, when you smell something sweet, just try to get a little bit deeper with what you know within Great, that. Like, you. sure, it's sweet, but what kind of sweetness? Is it powdered sugar? Is it granulated sugar? Is it brown sugar? Is it maple sugar? It, it might go really into burnt sugar, caramel, um, you know, all the yeah. way to molasses. It can be sulfury sweet, you know? So that's a way to kind of deepen your experience. And because, you know, people think, oh, this is beyond me. I can't do it. You can do it because you eat foods all the time, especially. In America, we have like the food network. People are talking food words all right. the time. So just open your imagination. The, the thing to remember is that it's hard to let your imagination run wild when you're feeling stressed out. When, when you're thinking to yourself, I can't do this, well, you can't because you're stressing out and you're not letting your imagination take hold. And the important thing is to kind of let your memories go loose and be like, oh, I smell roses right. from the rose bushes at my mom's house, right? I'm smelling you. So, so there's, there's a very interesting point you've touched on there. So the reason I don't tell people tasting notes is because it's very subjective. I don't know what the roses at your mom's house taste, smell like, right? So people are going to have their own experiences. And it's because the part of your brain that registers smell is next to the part of your brain that registers memories. Um, I think Happy Gilmer called it the Abdullah Oblongata. So a, a great example is when we talk about smoking whiskey. If I talk about smoking whiskey, I'm reminded of the peat fire at my grandfather's house or when they burn the heathers on the moorlands in Scotland. But if I speak to people in- Wait, Hold on, what time out? You burn the merlins on the, you burn the heathers on the merlins? What the hell does that mean? It, it, so heather is a plant that grows on the moors in Scotland. And every year we have to light that on fire to cut it back so we can regenerate the grouse uh, population. So you're burning the fields to, for the barley to grow? No, 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 it's no barley. Grouse are uh, like oh, a type the of grouse, little, little bird. The birds. Oh, yeah, okay. so we have to regenerate the merlins every year. It's, it's crazy. The merlins are? Moors are like big areas of land. Wetlands? Wetlands, wetlands okay. highlands, like hills. So, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. So for me, that's what I smell when I smell smoke. But if I speak, speak to people who have lived in London all their life about smoke, they're like, oh yeah, it's like the subway. You know, they've never smelt burning heather. They've never smelt peat in a fire, but they've smelt the subway, and that's the what they can associate with the subway train. Yeah, yeah. yeah so sure. it's 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 difficult to remember flavors exactly, but to remember memories is much easier, and that's why for me, smelling candles is quite good because they've got the scent on the candle. <laughs> you can smell that and go, yeah, I remember that. So, right. Um, Pedro, this is twenty-seven ninety-nine total wine. Wow, the twelve-year. Yep. So under $30 for a 12-year single malt scotch. Guy would say definitely go buy it. <laughs> Double gold medal winner. Double gold. Beautiful. Yeah. Really, really. What do you guys think of that 12-year uh, Tabatin? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Really, really. For $30 a bottle, 
almost as cheap as bourbon. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's why I've been bur buying bourbon when I've been over here. <laughs> so, uh, right on, beautiful. Okay, so Great. Stephanie came around with the 14. Everyone should have that in front of them in your glass. Is there anything different from the 12 year to the 14 year, or is it just the same spirit, exactly the same, just two years older? Are you playing around with different maturation? We're, we're playing around, so. All right. What you'll have noticed so far is that the tomato spirit is light, it's fruity, it's floral, and that comes from a historical place. Tomato was built in 1897, and until 1952, the style of whiskey that we produced was peated. It was smoky, lightly smoky. But then in 1952, uh, the distillery started to expand. And to keep up with this expansion, we started buying barley from the maltsters themselves rather than malting on site. And what they were doing down in the lowlands was using coal rather than peat. So that's what our spirit became from the 1950s onwards. And we did it pretty well. So after the Second World War, you've got this massive expansion in the whiskey industry. And between 1952 and 1974, Tomatin grew from a very, very small distillery to the biggest distillery in Scotland, the second biggest in the world. And we were the producer for, all, we, we were one of the bulk producers for Johnny Walker, Jewish, Shivers Regal. Are you still producing no. for Johnny? No, 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 no. None of those so, guys. So, uh, so in 1974, we produced 12 and a half million liters. Wow. In, That's 19, massive. in 1984, we were bankrupt. Yeah. So uh, in 1984, the whiskey in, in the 1980s, the whiskey industry went through a massive downturn. What happened was, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically, the, the the whiskey marketing of a man in a kilt eating shortbread, chasing a haggis, playing the bagpipes, was no longer attractive to the buyer, and they started drinking weird things like gin and vodka, and uh, the whiskey industry never kept up with that and we kept producing and kept producing, and we, and we oversupplied and we went into the downturn. Anyway, we still held on to that spirit type, that light fruity spirit type. Nowadays, we produce two and a half million liters, much, much smaller than we used to be. Um, and what we're doing is the vast majority is spirit that we're laying down for ourselves. Anything that we're laying down for other companies is so that we can get the reciprocal deal of their spirits for our blended scotches. And that's the spirit that we're starting out with, with all of these, this light, fruity spirit. The 12-year-old's in that bourbon and sherry casks. The 14-year-old is not simply that two years older. So a couple of years ago, we found a warehouse record book um, in our attic of the visitor center. And it, was, it recorded every cask that we filled from 1909 to 1929. The type of cask, what it was filled for, and who it was sold to. And the best entry in that book is the final entry because it was a cask of whiskey sold to the Inverness Lunatic Asylum. <laughs> Great Christmas party, right? <laughs> but, but basically what was, what was happening at that time, this is before bourbon becomes king in the Scotch whiskey industry. And so I'm sure most of you know, you do look like you consume a lot of whiskey and you know your stuff. Um, the, yeah, that's a compliment. From a Scotsman, that's a compliment, right? Um, to, be called, to be called whiskey, you've got to be, in Scotland, you've got to be matured for a minimum of three years in oak casks. Now, that only became law in 1916. In 1915, it was two years old. 
But the first recorded evidence of casks in Scotch whisky was a woman, Elizabeth Grant, from Rothy Mercus in 1823, who recorded in a journal that the whisky that the king had drunk was long in oak, smooth as milk. So we've been using whisky, we've been using casks and whisky from at least 1823. 2,000 years ago, we're going back in time here, it's a little bit like Marty McFly at a whisky tasting. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, um, we went through the agricultural revolution in Scotland, where we pretty much slashed and burned all the forestry to make way for farmland. Then in the 16, 17 and early 1800s, the British Navy ruled the waves, and it took 3,000 oak trees to build one ship. So there is not a lot of oak left in Scotland. And the stuff that does grow, grows quite knotted and gnarled, and it's not easy to make a cask out of. So in Scotland, we've always relied on second-hand casks. And we've pretty much had to rely on the countries that England wasn't at war with. So when England wasn't at war with Portugal, we bought sherry casks. Mm -hmm. In terms of the 14-year-old, when England wasn't at war with, when England was at war with Spain, we bought port casks. And in 1914, throughout that uh, last record book, we've got lots of port casks coming into the distillery. And the 14-year-old that we've got there uh, touches on that history. So this is matured for 11 years in ex-bourbon barrels. We're using those bourbon barrels to give us that sweet, buttery sort of mouthfeel. And then for two to three years in tawny port pipes. Now there's a lot of port casks in the whiskey industry now, but most of them are ruby. Ruby is a younger style of port that gives strawberry and raspberry light fruity flavors to the whiskey and it's great. There are some crackers out there. You've got Glenmorangie Quinta Rubin. You've got some Ben Riekson Ruby port casks. I'm a whiskey geek, so I'm gonna name other brands here. But we've already got light fruity notes into Matin. We don't need more. So we're gonna put it into tawny port pipes that have held the port for about 50 years old style port. Mm -hmm. And that's going to add a deep, deep cherry. So anyone that picked out a cherry on a 12 year old, it's going to be amplified here. You're going to get a chocolatey note, a walnutty note. For me, this is a black forest gato in a glass. Wow. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, those tawny ports get a ton of nuttiness because it gets its, it gets a cap of floor on top of it. Correct. So it changes color completely. The solids all fall it's out. It's much darker, much it's more like a brown color. Mm -hmm. um, now the, the beautiful thing about Tomatin is, and I think I touched on this a little bit earlier on, is we're one of the very few distilleries left in Scotland to have our own working cooperage on site. And that, sorry, that means that we don't have to rely on a centralized Scottish cooperage for everything. We do use Speyside Cooperage a lot. They're a great, great partner of us. But one thing that we can do is work directly with the wineries, with the bourbon producers, with the breweries. So for this, we are working directly with the Symington family over in the Jura Valley in Portugal, which is like your Graham's port, your Dow's ports. Um, so we're, we've got this direct relationship, meaning that we can access some pretty incredible casks for this. So let's try this Tomatin 14 year finishing some port cask. Stick your nose in that glass and please tell me what you're reminded of. What memories come to mind? Macaroons, coconut, Lovely. toasted coconut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Caramel. Okay. What else? Butter toast. Butter toast. Beautiful. Beautiful. Cherries, but they're red, kind of really ripe kind. Yeah, yeah. They're still not in season, but yeah. butter toast. Jam. I mean, I mean, that's a great thing. Anything that you shout out, I can't tell you that you're wrong, because I don't have your nose. So that's a beautiful thing about whiskey, and that's a beautiful thing about our range. We're not trying to create the same style at a different age point. We're offering loads of different flavors so that 
If there's something you don't enjoy, that's okay, because I can guarantee there's going to be something that you do enjoy. Oh yeah, it's got a lot going on. I'm getting like some cinnamon and maple and some floral notes and chocolate on the finish, like a yeah. milk chocolate on the finish. That's really beautiful. So this is one whiskey that I would recommend never adding water to. So I'll tell you a little bit about that. We add water to quite a lot of our whiskeys to open up some of the flavors. Every time I've tried this, and my experience is every time you've got whiskey matured in a sweet wine cask, when you add water, it flattens it out. It doesn't open it up, it just dulls a lot of the flavors there. So I'm not gonna add water to this. I've added water to the Legacy, Dualcus. I'm so used to saying Legacy. Um, and it's given a little bit more flavor. But to this, I've always found that it flattens it out and it dulls it out. When I was in Scotland, I was astounded by folks in these little tiny pubs up in the Highlands pouring a lot of water on yep. top of their whiskey. So if I was in a pub in, in your hometown, how do folks drink their whiskey? If they're sitting oh. down in a pub drinking tomatin, I'm how, about how, do to, how do they do it? I'm about to change your life. Uh, in the area that I grew up in and in most working areas of Scotland, People will add water to their whiskey and it tends to be equal measure whiskey to equal so, measure water. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying, that's a lot. They add 50% water. A lot of times I've seen these old timers and they're pouring like a pitcher of water on top of a little bit of whiskey. But, I'm always like, wow. But that is true. not the end of the story. So we drink in Scotland something called a half and a half. Anyone know what that is by a show of hands? Sounds like 50-50 something. It is close. 50% beer, <laughs> beer and whiskey. So in Scotland, traditionally, beer was not very good. So the working man's drink, he would go into the pub at the end of a tough day, working on the docks in Glasgow and the shipyards, and he would ask for a half and a half. And what he would get is a half pint of lager and a half of whiskey, which is a dram. It's a 25, 35 mil measure. M milliliter. <laughs> It's a Boilermaker, yeah, but, but it's, it's much cooler because it's said in a Scottish accent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what would happen is they would drink the beer and they would finish it off with a whiskey. That is the way that traditional Scotch whiskey should be drunk. And what's great nowadays is that used to be a cheap lager. Tenants is the lager in yeah, Scotland. Yeah, I've yeah. had many tenants. Nothing better than a cup of big juicy, that's what we call it. <laughs> and. Uh, and a half of a cheap blended Scotch whiskey. Mm -hmm. But now we're in, the, we're in the world of craft. We're in the world of high quality liquors, spirits, beers, wines. So what we've got now is you do pairings with great single malts and great craft beers. Mm -hmm. We live very, very close uh, in Tomatin to the Black Isle Brewery, which is about 20 miles north. And we work with them very closely to the point that we have matured some of our whiskey in their ale casks. Oh, cool. And those, that whiskey and that beer together, you don't shot any of it. It's just a sipping experience and it's wonderful. So I do encourage anyone, sounds wonderful. try pairing your single malts with your beers. It's going to open you up to a world of experiences that you've maybe not had before. That's, yeah, that's beautiful. So what, is, what are the blends that you guys are currently, you said you do make some whiskey for some blends. Is that your blends and what are they? Yeah, so we have a few blends. We've got a deluxe blend called the Antiquary. It was uh -huh. a, I know it. It was, it's a great whiskey. It's a blend that was actually created before Tomatin was in existence. Mm -hmm. So it was two brothers, John and William Hardy. They lived in Edinburgh and they created their blend in 1888 and called it the Antiquary. And over the years, it passed through a few hands. And in 1996, we bought that company and that blend. So that's our deluxe blend. 
And we also have a number of entry-level whiskies, uh, including Big T, Talisman, Legendary Scott, Grand Alistair, uh, Ancient Clan. And Talisman's really big in Japan, right? Uh, big T's big in Japan. Oh, Big T's. Talisman's big in Sweden. Okay. So the Swedish market works through a monopoly system and you have to win a listing, and we've got a great listing with Talisman. Uh, big T goes back to that, Tomatin was the biggest distillery, Big T. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that's, that's a big blend. And so we're producing some of our own whiskey to lay down to go into that, but we also trade our spirit with other distilleries for that. So in Scotland, you'll never, if you're a blender, you'll never buy a cask of whiskey. You'll trade a cask for another cask. So we're using lots of different Highland and Speyside malts, a couple of little Isla ones in there as well to create those blends. Mm, wow, beautiful stuff. And you guys are big. How many stills do you have at the distillery and how big are they? So we used to be, um, we used to have 23 stills. Wow. And we would- um, 12 and a half million. 12 and a half million. And at that time, the, the best stat that I heard about that time was from our old Cooper, Duffy. And he told me that we had, so we, if you go to Tomatin, you'll see a mash tun in operation and you'll see another mash tun with a big hole in the side where you can get your photo taken. So we were one of the very few distilleries to have two mash tuns. And we were mashing nine tons of barley 78 times a week. They tried running an extra mash for each mash tun and the power cut out. Um, so that was the cap, the cap was there. So we had 23 stills. Um, we stopped using a lot of them in the late 80s, early 90s, and in 2001, we removed 11 of them. So we have 12 stills. Uh, but when Graham Yunson came to the distillery, he moved to a balanced system. So that means that one batch of barley, which is nine tons, will create 45 ton tons of wort, which is that sugary liquid, which will then be 45, so did I say tons? Uh, 45,000 liters of wort, okay. sorry, uh, which will become 45,000 liters of wash after it's fermented. And that will be split between three wash stills. So we'll wait till two fermentations are done and we'll fill all six of the wash stills. That'll be distilled over in the first distillation. And those will directly fill four of the spirit stills. So although we've got 12 stills, we're only using 10. We're using six wash and four spirit. What are the other two stills for? Tourists. <laughs> fair yeah. enough, yeah. fair enough. Well, beautiful stuff. Stephanie, what is this final mark that you brought around, the 18? Tamatin 18-year, what kind of barrel finishes are going on with this one? Or is there anything else different that we should know about on this? Yeah, so this is our 18-year-old. Um, this is, if you go to Tamatin Distillery and ask the workers for their favorite whiskey, 90% of the guys on site are gonna tell you the Tamatin 18-year-old. And it's, it is the golden goose. So we win loads of awards. I've always said awards are a little bit like a political opinion. Everyone's got them but it doesn't matter if nobody else agrees with you, right? Um, so an award's a mark of excellence, but it doesn't mean it's gonna be the thing that you love. This whiskey has won a double gold medal at the San Francisco Spirits Competition for five years in a row. That is top tier. That's world-class single malt whiskey right there. Mm -hmm. For us, the most important awards that we've won aren't directly related to the individual spirits. Uh, so we, we were the biggest distillery. We like to say we're the best. In 2016, we were given the award for Scotch Whiskey Producer of the Year, uh, Scotch Whiskey Distillery of the Year. And that award is more than just the liquid, it's the ethos of the company. So workers living on site, 
cooperage on site, doing things the traditional way. The Scotch whisky industry has a remit to reduce its carbon footprint by 80% by, I believe it's 2020. We achieved this in 2014 when we became the first distillery to install a biomass boiler. So all our energy is coming from wood pellets rather than coal or oil. So all these things came to becoming Scotch Whiskey Producer of the Year. Um, we even win a packaging award. <laughs> right? It's not, cool. it's not the cover of the book, it's what's inside. But, um, but it's this important to have green, you know, eco-friendly packaging is a huge correct. deal. I've been, many years spent here at Seven Grand as a bar back unpacking boxes with right. so much waste. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and now supermarkets and grocery stores are starting to get involved in that, which is only a good thing, right? Um, so all these awards come our way. For me, the biggest seal of approval is when the vast majority of the staff tell you that this is their favorite whiskey. They're the guys that make the stuff. They're surrounded by all the whiskey. We've got about 170,000 casks of spirit maturing on site at Tomatin, and they think this is the best. Say no more. So what we're doing here is 85% of the liquid is matured for 15 years in ex-bourbon barrels and then three years in Oloroso sherry butts. And then the final, and so what we've been finding, and that's minimum, okay? So age is always the minimum age in the liquid. We've been having to overage this a little bit, so we're getting to the point where there's some four, five, six-year-old finishes in there. And that in itself can become a little bit too tannic, a little bit too beefy. So the final 15% is refill casks. Now, cask is king when it comes to Scotch whiskey. We don't get to play about with mash bills like you guys do in America here. So we play about with cask and 70% of the flavor is coming from the wood itself. Now, refill casks at five, 10, even 15 years old are going to create really bad whiskey because the oak's not adding anything to the liquid. But when you start to get to this age and older and older and older, the level of spirit in the cask has reduced so much that there's oxygen in there. And that's gonna interact with the spirit in a process we call oxidization. And me with my unscientific brain calls magic. <laughs> and it creates, it creates a lighter, fruitier sort of experience. So when we add that into those overage sherry barrels, you get those big, big sherry notes, those big dried fruits, chocolates, toffees, tobacco, leather, but you also get a nice light citrusy top note. You get some of those gentler apples and pears. It's like a apple crumble, apple pie sort of thing going on there. Beautiful. So let's share this experience. Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What comes to mind? What are you reminded of? No wrong answers. I'm, I'm smelling that damn apple pie. You told me apple pie, and I was like, right there. apple crumble, you know? Yeah, apple, apple pie, pie, vanilla citrus. ice cream, and some toffee sauce. Ooh, I like, I yeah. like. What else are you guys getting? Pez candy, so okay. like a, a, a dry fruitiness, like a... I can't remember the last time I had a Pez. I'm gonna have to pick one up when I'm out here. Yeah, come on. Now tap it over your tongue, because sometimes your nose will lead you in one direction, the tongue will tell you something else completely different. Allow that surprise to occur. What happens as you tap that over your tongue? Black licorice. Yeah, mm. the licorice is perfect. That aniseed sort of note. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that is gorgeous. I want to tell you a story before I drink this. So I feel very fortunate in my job. I'm the global brand ambassador for Tomatin. So that basically means I drink and I know things. <laughs> but I'm a lot taller. Um, so 
I'm lucky enough to travel the world drinking whiskey and the best part of my job is meeting folks like yourselves and spending time here having these conversations. And what I've learned from seven years of doing this is that no matter where you go in the world, everyone has a different way of saying cheers. So you've got Prost, Skoln, Ostrovi, Gambai, Lachaim, all wow. these, yeah, all these wonderful, wonderful ways of doing the same things. Camp, that stuff's crazy. Um, <laughs> I, 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 Yam Seng was what it was when I was in Malaysia a couple of weeks ago and you just have to sing it out and it's beautiful. Uh, a couple of years ago, maybe about four years ago now, I was up in Canada. Has anyone been to Calgary by a show of hands? Yeah. Anyone been to Edmonton by a show of hands? Anyone been to Red Deer? Right. So Red Deer is about halfway between Calgary and Edmonton, okay? And I'm there with... Um, with Molly's colleague, uh, colleague uh, Rumi, and Rumi's Indian, and I'm Scottish, and I'm wearing a kilt at this point. Now, the best way to describe red deer is redneck. <laughs> so we're halfway up there, and Rumi's like, I need to pull over for some gas, and he's got like a little Ford 4x4 thing, and we pull into this gas station, and one of these big monster trucks that we don't get in the UK comes alongside us, one of these big Dodge, what? things comes up side, beside us, gun oh, rack on the back, oh, nice, you know, nice. flag on the back. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. the two guys that came out of the uh, car had three teeth between them. And, um, and I'm in the gas station getting some water and I come back outside and I see the look they, they're giving Rumi, I see the look they're giving me and it's like, time to go. <laughs> so we get in the car and we head on up to Edmonton and we get to Edmonton and we go to this so, like we don't have them in the UK. It's like a craft beer tap house come nightclub type of deal. And we go inside and Rumi buys me a beer and he says, salut. I say, salut back to him. And out of nowhere, I hear, what did you say? What was that? And this guy comes out of nowhere and goes, salut is my name. My name is salut. I was like, no chance <laughs> in hell. And he pulls his passport out and he's like, no, no, no. My mum, my mum, my mum. She called me salut. She called me salut. I was like, Nice to meet you, Salou. And uh, so we started speaking to Salou. And Salou had just moved to Edmonton from Ghana. And uh, he hadn't left his house for the whole week that he'd been there because Edmonton has this weird thing that he's never seen before. We call it snow in Scotland. <laughs> and he's terrified by it. And he comes to the pub and we have a drink. Now. I've often thought about Salou. I've never met him since. But can you imagine being thousands of miles away from anyone you've ever known, anyone you've ever loved? You're speaking a language that you've got the loosest of grasps of. There's weather that you've never, ever seen. And an Indian man and a man in a skirt are in a pub shouting your name. <laughs> and what that's shown me is that no matter where you go, as long as you've got a drink in one hand and you know how to say cheers, you're going to make a friend. This is my first time in LA, and it's a pleasure being here. The best thing about that is it's great to be in a place where you can say it's a pleasure being here and actually mean it. <laughs> so we've got loads of fans, and they're very passionate. It just so happens that some of them live in Kazakhstan, which is a real place. Borat did not make that up. Um, so it's great to be here. And in Scotland, we like to drink to your health. So this is the last whiskey. We're going to have a lot of conversations, I can feel. But I'd just like to say uh, thank you in the Scottish way. We like to drink to your health. So it's Slangeva. Cheers. <laughs>
Well, right on. Well, Scott, thank you so uh, much for coming you out, you guys. Let's give it up for Scott Adamson and Sebastian. Sebastian. Right on. Really, really amazing juice. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember.